0: Now, it's CSL
1: Charlotte Sports Live.
2: Welcome into Charlotte Sports Live. Grace Grill alongside Gabe McDonald tonight. And what a week for Charlotte Sports. We will recap it all over the course of the next hour.
3: Absolutely, including first-year expectations for new Panthers head coach Dave Canales. Recent history shows that might be a tough task, though. We'll discuss the AAC-leading Charlotte 49ers with beat writer Honey Bailey. But first... The Charlotte Hornets. So they were in town tonight against the Indiana Pacers. All-star Tyrese Halliburton leading the Pacers into the Queen City to face the rising star, Brandon Miller. We're going to jump to the second quarter. Charlotte trailing by double digits. Check out Miller going to work here. Finds room near the elbow and knocks down the mid-range jumper. Hornets back within ten of the Pacers. later in the quarter, Indy creates more of a lead. Halliburton steps back right at the top of the key, knocks down the long ball. Seventeen points for Halliburton in just 20 minutes. Of action. The Pacers, they had an 11 point lead at recess, but that lead will be cut down early in the third. Brandon Miller left all alone in the wing, hand down, man down. That three pointer good for the rook. He'd go for a career high 35 points. Charlotte down by just five points one minute into the frame. Just a few minutes later, how about Ish Smith turning back the clock? Off the feed from Nick Richards-ish, lets it fly from deep. He's money, his only points of the night, but it would bring Charlotte back within four. But the Pacers eventually pull away. Pascal Siakam with the fadeaway from mid-range, he puts it in. He led the Pacers with 25 points. That bucket puts, puts the visitors back up by 15. And Indy was too much for the Hornets tonight. That's now seven straight losses for Charlotte after falling 115-99. to Our Michael Set joins us now from the Hive to break this one down.
0: Well, let's see, we're now two days past Groundhog Day, but it still feels like the Hornets are living the same Groundhog Day-type nightmare. Tonight, the team played again and lost again. Their seventh in a row, all since trading guard Terry Rozier to Miami. And this one, a lot of the teams were very familiar. Brandon Miller came to play, but once again, the team
4: was just too short-handed to win. You know, we used Brandon to handle and initiate offense a little bit, which he did a good job But it's just hard because they were double teaming him. Um, And again, you know, we got back into, you know, even in the fourth, we had it to eight. So, I mean, again, the effort's good. We got to move the ball better. If there
0: was a positive, it was, again, the play of Miller, who poured in a career-high 35. After
4: the game, he said no matter how bad it gets, he's not going to quit. Can't really sit on this loss. Um, You know, you you can get frustrated just sitting on one loss. Uh, I think you just got to come with the mentality of just um, having a short-term memory and just coming in tomorrow. And you know, um, try to outwork the other team tomorrow.
0: And so tomorrow comes the game a lot of Hornet fans have been waiting for. It's the one time LeBron James and the L.A. Lakers roll through town. Something to keep in mind, though, in the latest injury report, both James and Anthony Davis have been listed as questionable, so it's something we'll be keeping an eye on over the next 24 hours. That game tips off at 7 o'clock. Until then, from the Spectrum Center, I'm Mike Lissette, Charlotte Sports Live.
3: Appreciate it, Mike. And one thing that obviously Coach Cliff alluded to, moving the ball better. Only 18 assists tonight on about 35 made field goals. They got to play better team ball. And I understand being shorthanded, but you got to find a way to still keep running the plays, get into your thing better, and just be able to move the ball lot better. Because especially against teams like this where they have stars, where they're not as shorthanded, they're going to be able to take advantage if you're just stagnant and not able to force the ball into different spots on the floor. That's definitely something that they should need to improve at for sure.
2: Well, yeah, they absolutely have the ability to score the basketball. Steve Clifford even mentioned that after the game, and he said, we have enough talent on this team to yeah. play a strong all four quarters. The problem is that they don't have that 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 veteran leadership, especially now that you ship Terry out where he kind of was the one that could be the floor general. Yeah. But I know when Lame- even when LaMelo healthy, they have him him in that role and I I personally don't like him in that role because I don't think he is that floor general. You have two guys essentially in the Mello and Brandon Miller that are your two Scorers where you need somebody in there that can maybe dish the ball. And you saw Ish Smith getting the start tonight. You would have liked to see True. him step into that role. But they've got, to, they've got to name that role or go find somebody to come in that role.
3: It still has been good to see Brandon really take a lot of accountability and leadership, just for a younger guy, too. I mean, he's even telling guys, hey, I will need to get back on defense. So just hearing him be vocal and started to come into his own, I think that bodes well for the team. And that's somebody they can surely yeah. build around that's in that leadership role right now. He's
2: the future. All right, well, while the Panthers were busy introducing their new general manager and head coach, this past week. Their star defensive tackle was busy having fun in the sun. Derek Brown got his first taste of the Pro Bowl this weekend and competed in events today down in Orlando. Brown is coming off of a record-breaking season in which he set the NFL single-season tackle record for defensive linemen, finishing with 103 tackles. Well, if you're expecting a Super Bowl run from the Panthers in Dave Canales' debut season, you might want to temper those expectations. After all, none of the six non-interim coaches that came before Canales here in Carolina have come close, much less having a winning season in their first year. Mike Lissette gives us a look back at the Panthers' history their new head coach will try to overcome.
0: Well, everyone hopes to hit the ground running in a new job, first years have been tough for Carolina head coaches. Most seasons were forgettable, some were very bad, and one was so awful the coach didn't even make it to the end of the year. First in goal. The first man tasked with leading Carolina was Dom Capers in 1995. All things considered, he didn't do all that bad, guiding an expansion team to a 7-9 record. To the end zone. Touchdown, Pete Metzilein. Particularly impressive was that after their 0-5 start, Capers guided the Panthers to a 7-4 record the rest of the way.
5: John Casey's field goal has given the Carolina Panthers a dramatic 13-10 upset win at home.
0: After Capers came the great Super Bowl winning coach George Seifert in 1999. Even after 20 plus years, his first season with the Panthers is still the best for a first-year Carolina coach as the team went 8-8. Eight and eight. Touchdown Carolina! The high point was a 33-31 win over the two-time NFC champion Packers. Carolina would close out the year by winning three of its last four.
3: Guess who? Guess
0: who? Despite the 500 record, Carolina missed out on making the playoffs that season. Interestingly enough, it's something they've never done under a first-year head coach. It didn't happen with John Fox or Ron Rivera, two of the most successful coaches in team history. Fox was just seven and nine in his first year with the club in 2002. Smith in the end zone, touchdown Carolina Panthers. (laughs) Rivera in 2011 went six and 10. Was he in? Yes. In 2020, Matt Rule had his chance to coach the Panthers. He went just five and 11. But just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, Here comes Frank Reich in 2023. He lasted just 11 games, going 1-10 before getting fired. And this game is over. The good news for Dave Canales is that the bar is low. The bad news is that history is not on his side.
3: Appreciate it, Mike. Moving to football, MatLife Stadium will host the 2026 World Cup Final as announced by FIFA this afternoon. That game will be played on July 19th. 2026, but the U.S. Men's National Team will begin their World Cup journey in Los Angeles on June 12th at SoFi Stadium. Also announced today, AT&T Stadium in Dallas and Mercedes Benz Stadium in Atlanta will each host semifinal matches, with quarterfinals being held at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, SoFi, Arrowhead in Kansas City, and Hard Rock Stadium down in Miami. And it will be a historic tournament as the field will expand to 48 teams in the bracket from the original 32.
2: Hey, those Charlotte 49ers, they have not lost a game since December 16th. They'll look to make it nine straight wins this week, and we've got Hunter Bailey joining the show to talk all things Charlotte Hoops.
3: And you know his catchphrases like hum-diddly-dee, but what about the man behind the mic? Up next, the inspirational story of how Hornets broadcaster Eric Collins bet on himself and won. That's coming up here on Charlotte Sports Live.
2: Another good game at Halton today as Charlotte hosted a rematch with Temple from a few weeks ago. That's Deja Lawrence late in the fourth, that tied the game up but this was the one that counted. Welcome to the 1,000 point club Deja Lawrence, no time to celebrate though, this one needed double OT, Charlotte down one, Liv Porter with a nice dish underneath it to Tiana Rembert and Charlotte would take the lead. So they came up short in Philly two weeks ago but not today. Deja Lawrence seals the deal and the Niners win it 88-81 in double overtime.
3: Hey, How about that? Well, on the men's side, the 49ers have been rolling during conference play. Charlotte now winners of eight straight after taking down in-state foe East Carolina Saturday afternoon. This marks the first time in program history that the Niners have won eight conference games in a row. And they got the dub in front of a sellout crowd of over 8,200, the first sellout at Halton Arena since 2013. With the win, the Niners remain in first place in the AAC with an 8-1 conference record. While they're the top for now, they know their work is far from over.
6: We want more. You know, we want more and it takes a lot of hard work to do that. It takes a lot of discipline. Um, you never arrive. I've said, that, I've said it before, you never arrive and if you think you arrive, then you're done. Um, you're you're kidding yourself and that's what the greats do in any sport or anything. They just continue to work and want to be better and it becomes an obsession basically.
3: That's um, what I'm just
1: trying to educate them with.
3: Charlotte will be back in action Tuesday on the road at South Florida to kick off the back half of conference play. Now let's send it back to Grace who's standing by with our guest to talk all things Niners.
2: Well, I can't think of anybody better to talk about the Charlotte 49ers than Hunter Bailey of the Charlotte Observer. What a game yesterday just from an atmosphere standpoint. What were your thoughts?
7: It's a total flip from when I went there and I'm excited for them, right? You look at 8200 people at Halton and it's like, wow, Uh, I'm class of 2020 and it's a total flip. We've got people camping out at Charlotte, right? I mean, They've come so far, and when I think of when I think of just Charlotte hoops in general, like you're just happy for those guys. Like Mike Hill, obviously. I mean, Ron Sanchez steps down in June, goes to Virginia. It's a ton of uncertainty. You lose your two best players, and you're looking at the roster like. Not really sure what's going on first year in the AAC and then look at this. I mean, exciting times for sure.
2: Well, you mentioned the students camping out just to get a picture of how big of a game this (laughs) was. They called it Fernville. Aaron Fern said I had nothing to do with that, but he was flattered. How much does Aaron Fern need to this program right now and just what he's been able to do? Because he's been here a while and now that he's in charge, you've just seen that flip.
7: Yeah, so he's I mean, he's kind of been known as one of the minds of the team, even when Ron was here, drawing up plays in the huddle, a lot of different things like that. He was in the NBL, coached in New Zealand. He's from Australia, he's been all over. He's coached a ton of NBA players. And you're kind of seeing, right, they had the interim tag on him. He's making right at $500,000 a year now, which is less than half of what some of the top coaches in the AAC make. And talking to some folks, that deal is about to come soon and I think they're gonna pay that man what he deserves because he's bringing Charlotte back here.
2: Well now, when, if you talk to Fern, he's very big on growth and you never arrive, right? He wants that to be his message is, okay, we've won eight straight now, but we, we still aren't there. There's always room, room to grow. For him on the coaching side, he, he I spoke to him earlier in the week and he said, it's right now it's just about tweaking things. One of those tweaks came back in mid-December when he changed that starting lineup mm-hmm. and since then, is when we've seen them go on this eight game stretch. What do you make of that change?
7: Definitely moving Jackson Threadgill to the bench, bringing Isaiah Folks into the starting five. Folks is just like tenacious on defense. He can he takes the pressure off of the rim defenders, Deshaun Jackson and Igor, by being so good on defense. And I think that's also helping Threadgill, who moved to the bench, be better. Because you've got a fourth year guy off the bench who is like a film junkie. He's kind of like an extension of Fern on the floor. Hasn't had his best year of shooting, but he can really rally the guys so that lineup switch has helped them tremendously.
2: We've seen this team win in different ways. Mm-hmm. Like they're okay, yeah, they're pulling out games decisively, but then we've also saw, I think it was last week, where we saw them come back in two games down twenty. So mm-hmm. what what does that say from this team and how they are able to win games?
7: Definitely. I mean you never want the twenty point deficit. so like obviously that is a concern and you, you want to work on that. But what they're doing in the second half, it's like the defense is just taking a huge step up. They're not really having these scoring lapses that they dealt with a ton under Ron Sanchez. They're able to really kind of get in the float and they have four to five guys that can really hit like that shot
2: i mentioned that to fern in post game yesterday i said okay they almost had six six players in double figure scoring yesterday and when i mentioned that to him he kind of I, I asked him like what does that mean for this offense and and how you guys operate and he kind of had a an interesting comment about how for us to grow and make that next step to possibly be a tournament team he needed more guys to step up consistently. He said, I'm not going to name players, but what do you make of those comments?
7: I mean, definitely. I mean, you look at it, right? There were probably two to three guys that thought they were the guy as soon as Bryce Williams left, as soon as Ali Khalifa left. And you're thinking, I mean, 20, 21 year old guy, this is my shot to be the next face of Charlotte Hoops, be the next Jameer Young, be the next Bryce. What you realize at this point of the year is they've got four to five guys, maybe even more than that, that can get those double digits. They do have four players averaging double digits a night. I think one of the only teams in the conference with that feat. And I think when you're talking about that, it's Deshaun Jackson finding his stride here. I mean, he's 6'10", 6'11", guy transferred in from Washington State, having a career year. I mean, he was guarding like the lights of Evan Mobley and whatnot at USC. And now yesterday, like SportsCenter slam at the end of the game, really firing up the crowd. And I mean, he that's, that's just it, right? You have so much talent. It's like, who's going to take the shot? Because there's a lot of folks that can right now, and that's a total flip from where Charlotte's been in the past.
2: Well, it is an exciting time to be a Charlotte 49er fan. We, gonna, we alluded to it. We're going to get your thoughts, um, because now the talk is, are they a tournament team? You're going to stick around for quick six, right?
3: Yep,
7: see
2: you All guys right.
3: then. I always enjoy having Hunter on the show. Meanwhile, the National Sports Media Association recently announced a pair of winners for the North Carolina Sportscaster of the Year Award, and Hornets broadcaster Eric Collins made the cut. Now, every night on TV you can see his passion, but as Mike Lisette reports, what you don't see is all the hard work and sacrifice it took for him to make it big
0: the first time Dell Curry worked a Hornets telecast with new play-by-play announcer Eric Collins, the Charlotte Guard turned TV analyst couldn't help but wonder one big
6: thing. We're two minutes into the game and he comes out of his chair on a dump. A thing of beauty! And I'm thinking, okay, is this too much?
0: But Curry thought better of offering up any constructive criticism. Besides, as he'd soon learn, it's unlikely Collins would have listened anyway. Get in! Starting with his first ever game behind the mic, the 54-year-old has done things his way and more often than not, it's worked in his favor.
3: I remember the producers was like, Eric, hey, you know, you got to build, you know, because if you get too excited on the first basket, where are you going to go when there's a game winner? And I was like, don't worry, I'll be excited then too.
0: But before he ever made his first call in the booth, not- Collins first had to make a call of a different kind and it was a tough one.
3: He just told coach John Calafari that he can't start. He's it not. was
0: 2002. He'd been working as the Bulls sideline reporter for five years. Then one day at age 32, he decided his first big break was no longer big enough.
3: So my contract was up and uh, I just told my agent, I said, do not pick up the phone. If someone says they want me to be a pregame host or they want me to do sidelines, I want to do play by play only. So that's
0: exactly what Collins did. People told him he was crazy. He didn't care. Even my wife
3: thought I was nuts, you know, because she liked kind of the lifestyle. And I said, honey, I'm playing the long game here.
0: For the next few years, he essentially started over, working the minor leagues and taking smaller freelance gigs. Then in 2015, at last, the NBA came calling again as he would take over as the new voice of the Hornets. It's been almost nine years now and Collins is still going strong on the job.
3: You can hear my smile, you can see my smile. He's just as loud. And it's gonna be two the other way.
0: And you know what's really funny? Straight on luck. Get it! Curry now thinks it's perfect.
6: At home, if I lived with him, it'd probably be too much. But
3: two hours of the game, it's perfect.
0: Wonder no more, Dell.
3: Oh my goodness!
0: When it comes to Eric Collins, his approach to calling a
3: game
8: hum diddly
0: is just right.
3: Got three words for you: Hum, Diddly d. Folks, all right. Former Panther Greg Olson knows what he's talking about, and he has many opinions on the development of Bryce Young. Here from the Carolina Great. Coming up next.
2: And also coming up next, it's Mad Max: The Next Generation. How a local basketball player pays tribute to his dad, all while carving out his own legacy. It's all coming up here on Charlotte Sports Live.
3: back here on CSL. One of the main tasks for the new Panthers head coach Dave Canales is to develop Bryce Young into the star. Everyone wants him to be here in Carolina. Recently I had the chance to catch up with the former Carolina star who had a lot to unpack about the current state of the black and blue. That man being Greg Olson, he spent a decade in Carolina and was a key piece during the team's 2015 Super Bowl run. Since wrapping up his playing career in 2020, Olson has found a home in the Fox booth, Fox booth rather as a color analyst and still keeps a home here in the Queen City. While he does call games every Sunday, Olsen has still been keeping a close eye on the happenings on 800 South Mint Street. Here's part of our recent conversation where he dissects what went wrong with Bryce Young during his rookie season and how Canales and company can make things right.
4: You talk about stability and foundation, he didn't have any of that, right? I mean, he lost his head coach slash play caller halfway through the season. Um, You know, I think they had a lot of different guys from different backgrounds. I think the style in which Frank Reich wanted to play and the style in which Thomas Brown came from were not necessarily aligned, and they alternated who called plays. It was a – I don't think it was a fair situation for anybody, let alone a rookie quarterback who you traded up to take with the first-round pick, and it's all eyes on him. So, I think there was a lot of things working against Bryce this year. Um, I think with more stability, I think with better vision, better alignment, we should expect better results from him but again he's going to have to get better guys around him he's going to have to play in a system that plays to his strengths a system that protects maybe some of his deficiencies and that's not unique to bryce that's every single quarterback in the nfl outside of three so everyone's kind of playing that same game and i think it's the job of dave Canales to find out what those things are how to improve him as a player individually and then how to build the system around his talents and the, the players you inherit.
3: You can watch my full conversation with Olsen coming up tomorrow night, right here on Charlotte Sports Live.
2: All right, well, moving on tonight, going into the family business is a dream many parents may have, but what happens when there are big shoes to fill?
3: And what if those shoes come with a lot of added baggage? As Michael said reports, one father-son duo on North Mac is currently navigating that issue. Big or small, we've all got secrets.
0: North Mech's starting combo guard has one, And it's a doozy. Everybody think his name, really name is Trey. But it's not. You want the scoop on this up and coming D1 prospect? Well, here it is. When this come out, everybody went, oh, what? His name is Vernon? As in Vernon Maxwell. Yes, and that is his dad, the Vernon Maxwell, the one whose nickname was Mad. The one who earned the reputation as one of the more colorful characters from the NBA in the 1990s.
7: He was kind of crazy.
0: But when it comes to Vernon, there was always a method to his madness. And that didn't change once he started training Trey to follow in his footsteps.
7: He taught me how to shoot. Like, that's all he really used to do. Like, he taught me how to like, walk into it.
0: Clearly, being the son of an NBA player has its benefits. But as Vernon recognized, in Trey's case, there were drawbacks too. Every gym we go in, pretty much somebody pull him to the side and be telling about stories. Hence why Vernon Maxwell III goes by just Trey. But while he's got his own name, his game is all too familiar. He's just a dog, and that's what, you know, more than anything reminds me when I see him play a lot. You know, he just play like a dog. The secret is out. I definitely want to make him proud, you know. I want to make it
7: to that next level.
0: Trey Maxwell doesn't go by Vernon, but like Dad, he's just
3: as mad. Mike Lissette, Charlotte Sports Live. Some more good stuff from Mr. Lissette there and we're four days out from the NBA trade deadline and there's lots of buzz around who may be on the move. We'll talk which Hornets could get dealt just ahead.
2: And up next, is scoring in today's NBA too easy? After yet another 60-point game last week, we asked Hornets great Muggsy Bogues for his thoughts. That's coming up on the other side here on Charlotte Sports Live. Back here on Charlotte Sports Live. And in case you missed it, last night, Chef Curry was at it again. For the second time in his career, the Charlotte native reached the 60-point mark in a 141-134 Warriors loss at Atlanta. Curry finished with exactly 60 points, just two points shy of his career high set three years ago
5: in Portland.
3: And Curry's onslaught was the latest high scoring performance in the NBA this season. And here we are, only in February, and there have been 15 50-plus point games in the NBA this season. To put that into perspective, exactly 10 years ago in the 2013-14 season, there were only six. And if you were to go back even further to 30 years ago, there were only three. That was in the heyday of former Hornets guard Muggsy Bogues. We caught up with him yesterday at his middle school basketball tournament. While he says he's been entertained by all the scoring, Muggsy says he thinks we've reached the point where maybe the league considers some rule changes to help the defenses out a little bit. Yeah, the offense has really been emphasized here, and it's mainly because of the skill set of the players. You know, you got seven footers, seven four yeah. guys that shooting threes like it's effortless, and uh, so they're trying to you know cater to those players. But I think once they kind of reel back and understand the importance of defense and how guys are more able to you know compete on that level on that end of the court, it makes the game much more better. I believe. Now, the Hornets have not had anyone reach 50-plus this year, but they've been on a receiving end of a big game. You might remember Carl Anthony Towns dropped 62 on them just last month. And Charlotte could definitely use a guy that can score 50-plus every now and then. Maybe that guy would be Brandon Miller, Race.
2: Maybe, but with the NBA trade deadline just days away and their season practically already over, Charlotte is looking to unload some of its young talent to help build for the future. Mike Lassette is back with us from the Spectrum Center to discuss the trade talk with former NBA scout Stephen Giles.
0: Well, Steven Giles, I feel a little bit like I'm back in high school. There's a ton of rumors out there, and and, and it's hard to separate fact from fiction, which is why we brought you back here tonight. We're four days away from the trade deadline. We want to go right to the expert. That's you. On Friday, it seemed like Miles Bridges was headed out of town to Phoenix, and yet he played tonight against the Pacers. What's the latest on that situation?
5: Well, there's a couple scenarios you have to go over with Miles. First of all, he's difficult to trade because You've got to have his permission to trade him, seeing that he signed this qualifying offer. Secondly, with an $8 million contract, he's in a range where it's difficult to get equal talent back matching that money. And then lastly, one of the key players that Charlotte was reportedly interested in, Grayson Allen is playing really well, shooting well over 50% from the three-point line for Phoenix, playing the best basketball of his career.
0: So what you're saying is, once again, the Hornets uh, can't get a break in that department. It's interesting, you know, Mitch Kupchak, uh, a couple weeks ago when they made the Rozier trade, was like, hey, we're in the market to make moves before the deadline. Do you think that, you know, teams are sort of taking advantage of the fact that they know that Charlotte wants to make some moves here. They're in the market to trade.
5: There's some degree to that, but I would say it applies to most teams, and it and part of that is you don't make your best offers until it gets closer to the deadline. Yeah. So th- that's affecting the situation now, but when we get to Wednesday, certainly Thursday, the offers will get more serious.
0: What about the other ones obviously kyle lowry gordon haywood uh pj washington those are guys who we've heard all sorts of rumors about of those three or or maybe if there's more what's the most likely scenario where someone's leaving town here
5: well kyle most likely but in a buyout not Mm -hmm. a trade rumors are the hornets are still trying to trade him but 30 million dollars is difficult to match there are three teams interested in kyle the sixers The Magic and the Lakers, who will be here tomorrow. So you never know. When a team's get in the same town, sometimes sparks do happen. Uh, Gordon Hayward, there's been mention of buyout, but don't think it happens with Gordon because he would lose his bird rights. He would like to keep his bird rights. So he likely does not take a buyout. And then lastly, PJ has gotten interest recently from Dallas and the L.A. Clippers. That might be the easiest guy to trade
3: of the three.
0: Oh, the trade deadline coming up on Thursday. It should be an eventful couple of days. Guys, back to you.
3: Appreciate it, Mike. With all the excitement over Thursday's Panthers press conference, you might have missed one big thing about the future of the Panthers' defensive coordinator position. Is Jero Averro staying or going? We have the scoop coming up next on the D.C.
2: Plus, we've got the exclusive conversation with the new guys leading the charge. Catch our sit-down with Dave Canales and Dan Morgan coming up next. Maybe one of the biggest things to come out of Thursday's press conference might have been overshadowed. Dave Canales says he expects defensive coordinator Adriano Evero to stay on staff. After missing out on the head coaching job in Seattle and here again in Carolina, he was a hot name to land elsewhere, but the Panthers have blocked him from making any lateral move since he is under contract. Canales says already facing an Evero defense twice this season makes him that much more interested in working with the highly sought after coach.
6: Respect factor that I have going against them. I know I know this scheme going against it. I'm really excited to learn more about the ins and outs as far as how the calls come in, the adjustments and all that. I just know it was really difficult on me for years. Uh, whether it was in Seattle going against the Rams in that family, um, or this year just going against EJ twice. so And this is, this is really important for me, um, especially as a, as a first-time head coach who's like, I'm here to make sure we get our football right, especially on the offensive side, that we have that continuity um, with the players, with, with EJ, you know, just being able to have the mentality that I saw that was really challenging to play against.
2: Well, there wasn't much to cheer for for the Carolina Panthers in the 2023 season, but good times could be on their way. Lots yeah. of excitement over at 800 Southman Street.
3: Yeah, and there's a lot of optimism that new GM Dan Morgan and head coach Dave Canales can fix the Panthers. But as they told our own Carla Gebhardt, they understand it's going to take a lot of work.
8: What was the welcome like yesterday when he came into the bank for the
6: first time? Oh, it was overwhelming. I, <laughs> honestly, it was like, it was was like it was like such a warm reception, and the first thing that I thought about was like, Let's throw a party like this for all of the players that come through this place, for all of our Panthers fans that come to practice is like, "Hey, welcome, and what can I do for you? How can I serve you?" Um, so I got that kind of reception and um, and it was, uh, it was definitely cool. I was, I was getting kind of, kind of jacked up, and I was kind of ready to practice and get out there already. So.
8: <laughs> right. And, and, Dan, I know that this moment just really means a lot for you to be drafted here by the Carolina Panthers and now to really take over the general manager position and make it your own. How do you feel like you're going to be able to do that?
1: Um, you know, it's kind of surreal, first of all, just kind of being back here uh, to be the GM, a place that I played, you know, for seven years. Um I'm just really excited to, you know, work with Dave, um, you know, get this thing going, uh, do it the way that we want to do it, which is positive energy, good vibes around here, um, and just have the players feel that when when they walk in the building. And um, let's go win. You know, that's that's really what it's about.
8: What stood out to you uh, about Dave and just his this past year with Tampa Bay, what he was able to do with the offense? I know you kind of obviously kept your eye on him since you have yeah. a previous relationship in Seattle as well.
1: Super smart as a coach, um, works his butt off, and just the energy and the good vibes that he brings, you know, to the practice field, to the building. He's going to bring energy, emotion, and um, I feel like we've been missing that, missing that around here a little bit.
8: I know you can't really predict the future but after taking over at Tampa Bay as the offensive coordinator did you see this move to become a head coach so closely that it might come that the opportunity might come uh, pretty quickly?
6: I really didn't but at the same time I wanted to be ready and this is something I've been working on for 10 years Um, you know I'm 42 years old I know a lot of I may look young the energy feels that way (laughs) um, but this is something that I've had my sights on for a really long time and it was just a matter of opportunity and I'm so grateful for the Bucks organization. They gave me a chance to really just be me and then figure this thing out. And there was a lot of lessons learned through the process. So for me, you know, selfishly, I was like, you know, I need to take my lumps, you know? And we had we had a couple of different kind of stretches there in Tampa where we had some, some hard stretches where we lost a lot of games, six out of seven, and then we won four straight and then got ourselves into the playoffs. Once that happened, I was like, okay, you know kind of told lizzie i said well we just need to be ready just in case something comes across our way and um and this opportunity just happened to be the perfect fit uh, for what we were trying to do
8: and we've heard so much here in carolina about how you're working with quarterbacks obviously geno smith in seattle yeah. and then baker mayfield just this past season when you've watched bryce young over the past season what stood out to you about him
6: uh, courage um, calm presence accuracy uh, those are some of the things that are a carryover from the guy I saw just a year ago in the college evaluation process, um, and I kind of pinched myself. We were really never in a position in Seattle to get the first overall pick. So, like the more I watched the film prepping for the interview, the more I was like, it's settling on me like I may get a chance to coach Baker Mayfield's first pick overall as well. You know, right. um, but here's here's this just this impressionable, talented really focused young man and uh, just really like relish the opportunity to be able to do that with him.
8: I know that stood out to you and now you're going to be tasked with bringing in players to to go around Bryce Young. The way that you played the game though I think that really stands out to a lot of people and now having your eye to assess that talent is going to be a really big deal uh, for a lot of fans here in Carolina. When you think about a player that you want to come here to Carolina what kind of player is that?
1: You know, I think it's a smart player. Um, It's a tough player, Um, somebody that's accountable on and off the field. Uh, You know, playmakers, uh, whether on the offensive side of the ball, uh, scoring touchdowns and on the defensive side of the ball, taking it away. Uh, We just want good character guys that come in here uh play smart play tough and uh you know make the fans excited about what they see every every sunday
8: i know we've touched on a little bit uh, of the history of you two back in seattle going back to those days and thinking about that uh, what do you remember most dave
6: just a couple doors down and just like really watching dan just stand for what he believed um you know he's gonna he's gonna shoot it to you straight based on the way he sees things um and you know we We shared a wing, like we shared a hallway. We were just a couple doors away um, for uh, the first few years before I moved to wide receivers coach. But you know, just to see the the confidence that he approached every day with, and especially like as he was just getting going, you know, in the scouting world there. But like, he just kind of had a feel and an understanding for what a good football player looks like. I think the one-two punch is like, let's find those players that fit that mold, and then how can I create an environment where they can thrive.
8: What do you remember most from that time?
1: Well, you know, Dave, he, di- he didn't need a cup of coffee first thing in the morning. <laughs> I know that by walking down the hallway, um, a lot of energy, uh, always knew that Dave was putting the work in. He's always in his office working, putting, it, putting in that work that, you know, most people aren't willing to do. Um, so I got a ton of respect for Dave and I just, I look forward to working with him. It's going to be a lot of fun.
8: And last question for you, Dave, I know that you've already been familiar with keep pounding here and what that means for Carolina. What does that mean to you just as a new head coach coming in?
6: I think for me, the way that I, the way that I embraced it into who I am and what I believe is like every single day, it's like, this is a championship opportunity and keep pounding. For me, it falls right into that. Like, regardless of whatever happened yesterday, today's a new day. It's first and 10, got a new set of downs. I'm so fired up. I got all my plays at my disposal here, um, and uh, I want to be able to bring that mentality to our Panthers fan base, um, to our building, to our players for sure, that we're all searching for a win. What does a win look like
3: today? And I'm excited about that. Some good stuff there. All right, folks, the is back. The Clash of the Coliseum kicked off the racing season last night, and there's one team that's feeling real good heading into Daytona.
2: And the Charlotte 49ers, they're feeling pretty good. And they've got dreams of an AAC basketball title. That goal still very much a reality. But will it happen? We debate next in Quick 6.
3: The Clash of the Coliseum came a bit early due to Mother Nature. NASCAR holding its annual preseason exhibition last night due to the weather coming through Los Angeles today. After an overtime restart, it would be Denny Hamlin coming away victorious to kick off the new season with a checkered flag. This marked his fourth career victory in the Clash and his first since the race moved to the Coliseum in 2022. After getting the win, Denny, as he always does, poked a little bit of fun at the fans in attendance.
7: Great momentum boost. It doesn't much more do much more than that, but uh, you know, I clean off all the trophies uh, every January first in the entryway of the house, and now we get to add one pretty quick.
6: So, really happy about that.
5: Congratulations, Denny Hamlin is your clash winner. He has something to say, I think.
3: You know, I
6: beat your favorite driver again, right?
3: Just Denny being Denny. With the clash in the books, that means the next thing on the schedule is the Great American Race. We're just two weeks out from the Daytona 500, folks, and our CSL team will be down in the Sunshine Sunshine State all of Speed Week covering Media Day, the Duels, Trucks, Xfinity, and the big event on Sunday. See it all right here leading up to February 18th only on Fox Charlotte.
2: All right, it is time for quick six. We've got Hunter Bailey back with us, so let's put two minutes on that clock, please alright Hunter we're starting with you. What will be the big first big decision made by New Panthers GM Dan Morgan?
7: I don't know if it's the biggest decision, but I think you gotta get Steve Smith back in the building. You talk about wanting to bring that dog back, wanting. Seems to fear Carolina Panthers Agent 89
3: he screams that that's that's his game bringing back. I think
2: that would make a lot of fans happy all right Gabe grade the Dave Canales fire
3: I'd give it a B I mean he's still very unproven only called plays for one year as an offensive coordinator but he comes with a lot of energy he's a young energetic guy I think he can bring a lot to this team but still time will tell just how good he can be here in Carolina so I'd give it a solid B for now
2: all right Hunter that NBA trade deadline is looming who will the Hornets trade this week if anybody
7: I think you got to buy out Kyle Lowry and then move on from Gordon Hayward. Whether that's, I think the, if you can get anything for Gordon, you take it at this point. He's played about half the season almost every year in Charlotte. Time to move on from Gordon.
2: All right, Gabe, sticking with the Hornets. Will Steve Clifford and Mitch Kupchak make it to the end of the season?
3: I honestly don't think so. I think at this time we're seeing the past few games, this team does not come in with it each night. I know they're not healthy at all. I mean, Bryce McGowan said to start tonight at three, if that tells you anything. So I think eventually they probably will I don't see I don't think they may because we're seeing the team does not really come with that energy every night and that's what you don't want to see some bad body language this time of year
2: well I will tell you who is coming with that good energy and that would be the Charlotte 49ers Hunter will the 49ers win the AAC
7: you know I'm gonna say yes to that grace (laughs) Charlotte's got it going I mean they're they're playing South Florida on the road Tuesday night it's a huge game they still got to go to Memphis so there's still some challenges ahead but beating FAU getting the crowd into it. Players are bought in. I'm rolling with the nine.
2: Do you think that they actually, bonus question, do you think that the crowd will actually continue with the energy they're bringing?
7: I think so. I mean, the next home game is February 15th against UTSA. Uh, it's a team they beat earlier in the season. You know you can add to that win streak. I think if they win Tuesday, they, they are exactly where you want to be right now.
2: It's exciting. All right, Gabe, real quick, what is the best sports movie soundtrack of all time?
3: I gotta go with Space Jam. Fly like an eagle. <laughs> Bike drop right there. Over Rocky? Yes. Space Jam was way before my, I mean, Space, Rocky was way before my time. But I resonate, that's like I resonate universal. better. I, I know Rocky is elite, but Space Jam, there's no better soundtrack. You heard it here first. All
2: right. That is quick six. <laughs> Over Rocky. Oh, my gosh. Well, our QC crowns are next. Maybe South Carolina women's hoops will get one. They moved to 21-0 today after routing Ole Miss by 29 points find out if they take home a crown coming up next
3: all right time to finish up the night with our qc crowns grace you're up first tonight all
2: right well he got my crown last night but mm-hmm. he gets it again tonight wyndham clark he was declared the winner at the at&t pebble beach pro-am after the final round was called due to including weather so i said he was my crown last night for setting the the new course shooting 12 under the new course record but uh get this he Made over just under 190 feet in putts this weekend, which is the most by any golfer at the course since the stat was first tracked in 2003. Just all the stats out of Wyndham Clark this weekend.
3: What's your What's your golf game like? Could you hit that many feet worth of putts? You know,
2: I haven't tried in a while. We
3: got to try. We got to top golf first. That's my game. Me on a real golf course, no. My crown tonight going out to Ravens kicker Justin Tucker, arguably the best in the game, and he proved it today in the Pro Bowl game, showing off the accuracy. Tucker able to defeat Cowboys kicker Brandon Aubrey in the game of kick-tack-toe help the cause for the AFC. However, it would eventually be the NFC taking home the crown for the entire Pro Bowl game. Still, some cool stuff here as a specialist. Got a little bit of love. Justin Tucker, obviously one of the best in the game. He's sure to go to the Hall of Fame. That's so cool. It was really cool to see. I think I love, we talked about this earlier, you know, before the show. The new Pro Bowl games format is really good because the game got very diluted over the past few years. None of these guys are playing defensive tackling. So I think having fun, doing different things like this. And shout out to our guy Derek Brown, too, being able to get some uh,
2: Absolutely. Get some yeah, I, the vibe felt very much yes. like uh, like MLB Home Run Derby type stuff, and that just makes it more fun and exciting.
3: Yeah, no, having the players involved and getting on the mic a little bit was cool, too. For Grace Grill, I'm Gabe McDonald. We'll do it again tomorrow night, guys. Good night.